Show, brought to you by People G2, a company dedicated to helping all businesses with their people-related decisions. They do that by giving clients access to the best human capital, due diligence, and background checks available on prospective candidates, business partners, tenants, and more. To learn more, simply visit www.peopleg2.com. Today, we're privileged to have with us the founder and president of People G2, Chris Dyer. Hey, Chris. Good afternoon, and thank you for joining me again here today on the Talent Talk Radio Show. Again, my name is Chris Dyer, and I'll be your host for the next hour. We have a great lineup of, uh, we, have, we have one guest today, and I uh, hope you're looking forward to hearing everything that he has to talk about, as well as our other great guests that we'll be having uh, throughout the year and all their great uh, insights and wisdom. So, the way this show works, the Talent Talk Radio Show, is we try to feature a wide range of guests who care about talent management, leadership development, and company culture. So in the business world, talent really has a couple different meanings. And the first that we try to focus in on is how it relates to success and how really talented people achieve success. And the second is how talent relates to human resources and how HR leaders find the best candidates for their companies. So in this show, we try to explore those two areas along with how talented individuals impact a company's culture. The guests on this show typically include uh, CEOs, HR executives, entrepreneurs, and from time to time, like to, on today's show, we have the privilege of talking to to an author and thought leader as well. So when I typically what happens is I'm at a networking event or a conference, and I have the privilege of meeting these inspiring leaders, and I created this forum to allow you to listen in on our dialogue and hopefully learn some practical advice that will help you cultivate talent, develop leaders, manage culture, and most importantly, impact your own career in a positive way. Special thank you to all those who are tuning in live here every Tuesday. If you have a question, you can uh, always send it in here uh, via Twitter. Send it to at peopleg 2 Use that hashtag talent talk, and my producer, Mike, can uh, feed, try to feed me the question. We'll work it into the show. We also take suggestions on guests and maybe uh, important questions that we should be asking, books we should be recommending. So feel free to have, uh, have a discussion with us there as well. Don't forget, uh, you can tune into the podcast on iTunes or Android and listen to this show and other past shows that we've had, as well as have that uh, each week's show sent to you right there on your phone, your iPad, whatever it may be. You can join the other 145,000 subscribers that we have. We thank all of you for tuning in to listen whenever it's convenient for you. So let's go ahead and get to today's guest. Uh, we'll be spending the the entire show uh, with him. We have uh, Dr. Mark Goldson. He's the author and CEO uh, and founder of the Goldson Group. Uh, Mark, thanks so much for being on the show. Well, I'm so pleased to be on it, and, and I was pleased to have the privilege of meeting you uh, at an event uh, a few months ago, and glad to be on. So tell us about yourself, uh, your company, and uh, the other things that uh, you know, you're doing and involved in right now. Well, my company, the Goulston Group, we work with CEOs, executives, managers, uh, HR heads to not just create buy-in from the people they want or the customers they want, but to generate excitement and enthusiasm. And actually, our website is going to be going up in the next few weeks, and our tagline is, We Create Gotta Have It, because what we've discovered is that when you can create gotta have it in your customers and clients for your products, think of the people lining up outside an Apple store when a new product becomes available. When you create gotta have it, you don't have to persuade anyone to do anything. You just sign them up. And then we have an internal thing that HR people should be very interested in, 
and that's called how do you create gotta work there so that the best talent is attracted to your company and so that's what we uh, create through uh, i do keynotes and i do c-suite mentoring so i don't think of myself this way but i guess the world views me as a thought leader and when i speak around the, the world they think of me as a celebrity <laughs> Well, I know we're privileged to be having you coming up here May 20th, uh, the OCHR Summit. Anyone who's listening that's interested in finding out more, you can go to peopleg 2 slash OCHR Summit 2015 and read more about uh, what uh, Mark will be talking about. But um, before we get to maybe some of those things, I know you, you started out as a clinical psychiatrist. Uh, the first time I met you, one of the stories that you told was just fascinating uh, about one of your patients and some of the things that she was going through, but how did you transition from that to, to training the FBI and police hostage negotiators, you know, and then and then moving on to, to working with CEOs and you know founders and entrepreneurs? What does that sort of that journey look like? Well, it actually did start when I was a clinical psychiatrist specializing in kind of interventional psychiatry, meaning I would intervene with people who are suicidal or prone to violence. And I'd somehow be able to, I guess, bring it to a, um, a safe conclusion. And none of the suicidal people that I saw, knock on wood, killed themselves. And, and what I learned is I, I learned to go where the other person's coming from. And so in my book, Just Listen, which we'll talk about intermittently through the interview, uh, when you go to where someone's coming from and get where they're coming from, and they perceive you as... Uh, not doing any harm to them and only wanting to help them, people caved into that. And the story you're recalling is I had a highly suicidal patient who I was seeing and I had been sleep deprived for a couple of days because I had been uh, moonlighting, which means working at a state hospital to pick up some extra pay. So I was sleep deprived and when I was with her, and she was probably maybe my most suicidal patient, when I was with her, what happened is the, the color in the room disappeared um, and everything started to melt as I was seated with her and she never looked at me directly and I thought I was having a stroke or a seizure. Uh, and then I, because I'm a medical doctor, I did a neurological exam on me and I realized I'm all here. And then I had this crazy notion that I was actually looking at the world through her eyes. And I shared this story with the Reverend uh, Jim Kowalski from St. John the Divine, the Gothic Cathedral in Manhattan. And he said, you went into the dark night of the soul. And I think I did because it was cold, it was chilling, it was horrendous. And because I was sleep deprived, I blurted out to her, and we'll call her Nancy, that's not her name. And I said, Nancy, I didn't know it was so bad, and I can't kill you, I can't help you kill yourself. But if you do... I will still think well of you, I'll miss you, and maybe I'll understand why you had to do it, because there was no way out of the pain. And that was the first time she made eye contact with me at the time I was seeing her. I'd been seeing her for about six months, and she smiled at me, and I thought she was going to say to me, thank you for letting me do it, because I'm overdue. I've made three attempts and been in the hospital, and this is as long as I've gone without one, and so I got a little concerned and I said what are you thinking and she smiled at me and she said if you can really understand why I might have to kill myself to get out of this pain maybe I won't need to and then what happened is the room came back 
the color came back, and Nancy came back. She got a PhD and has some kids. But I, it taught me something that when you can listen into people, uh, as opposed to just listening to people, and people feel you doing that with the only agenda to be of service to them, I am telling you, people cave into it. I mean, that, that's I am a confidant to CEOs because they feel that I'm not going to hurt them. And, I, and, and then what I developed was an ability to focus on the elephant in the room and put it into words. So how I transitioned into the business world, I also did house calls to dying patients and their families. And on some occasions, the uh, founder would be dying in the other room, and, and the family was in conflict. And sometimes within minutes, I would resolve conflicts that uh, had never been resolved. And so after the founder died, the second generation would say, can you come in and help our company? And I said, I don't know, I'm a psychiatrist. I deal with backstabbing, uh, uh, I deal with chips on the shoulder, I deal with jealousy, uh, do you have any of that? And, and what they would say to me is, we're a family business, that's all we have. Right. <laughs> and so I stepped into that, and then I realized, gee, a lot of companies run like a dysfunctional family, and then I crossed over into training FBI and police hostage negotiators because I had a way of, uh, you know, kind of talking to what wasn't being talked about. And in fact, if you look up, if you do a search under my name, Mark Goulston, G-O-U-L-S-T-O-N, and put in FBI and police negotiation, you'll get, a, you'll see a Vimeo uh, video from maybe the late '90s where I do a role play, and, and, and in those trainings, I, my role play was I would play a suicidal policeman who had been on medical leave for a year because I had shot an unarmed kid, and, uh, and now I was going to uh, take my own life. I pull out a gun, and I challenge the FBI and police in the audience to talk me out of it. And so what you see if you go there is the role play, uh, and no one can talk me out of it, and I always pull the trigger. And then what happens is uh, from that persona, from that persona of that suicidal policeman, I th am, am then able to say, this is what you didn't ask me, which if you had, might have caused me to turn the gun over. And so I've done this kind of in-your-face role play, not just doing that. I did it with one of the top financial companies on Wall Street, and I played someone who who uh, uh, had gone from $200 million to $150 million, and I was thinking of switching financial firms, and this was, I won't mention the name, but you'll know who it is. It's probably the top brand in uh, wealth management, and I've done that with uh, uh, insurance companies, uh, one, another well-known brand. I, I role-played a mom-and-pop insurance uh, office owner, and the company was pushing me to sell mutual funds. And so, uh, and what was happening is a lot of the mom and pops who worked for this company didn't want to sell mutual funds. They were used to selling property and casualty and automobile insurance, and they were, and they were resisting, and, uh, and the company wanted to get them to uh, buy in to selling risk when what they wanted to do was sell protection from risk. So, so this transitioned over into the business world and what's interesting is 
I transitioned from actually, see, you know, seeing the world through the eyes of someone who was suicidal to now seeing the world through the eyes of visionaries. And, and I've been giving these presentations on basically how to think like Steve Jobs, how to create the gotta-have-it excitement that Apple customers have when a new product comes up. And that's just taken off. I've never gotten ratings on presentations the way I'm getting with that presentation. Well, and it sounds like the work that you, you've done, starting from being a clinical psychiatrist, um, there may be some um, some connections between the people that you're working with there and the people that you might be working with uh, from the FBI standpoint and also within a, a business. I mean, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of uh, mental health issues amongst the, uh, <laughs> the gamut there, but I, I'm sure a lot of those, those experiences and things that you learn and things that you've, you've uh, been able to help people with have gone into, you know, those uh, different books that you've written. I think you've done six so far, several of which were bestsellers. Is there a particular book that was seems to be a favorite or, or one that, you know, people seem to remember the most? Well, my book, Just Listen, which was just released in paperback a couple of weeks ago in an updated and revised version, that became the top book on listening in the world. It's in 16 languages. It reached number one in Shanghai and Munich and I think eight Kindle categories, Kindle business categories. And I think why it's captured people's attention is because when people think of communication, they focus more on what they say. Just as there's skills to be learned in what you say, there are skills to be learned in how you listen. And when you can listen at different levels, you're much more effective. And so there's a presentation that I've given uh, on multiple occasions to the to the Institute of Management Consultants, and that was on how to turn a conversation into getting hired. And this would how this would apply to uh, HR and talent acquisition. It, it, it could be, you know, how to hire the best people, how to hire people that you won't have to fire. And I can't go into the entire presentation, but a lot of it uh, would revolve around. Uh, taking the conversation to a much deeper level than the checking box kind of thing, and just a throwaway tip that people can keep in mind that they seem to like, is that when you're talking to someone, a candidate or someone else, and they're talking to you, they're and they're asking you questions. One of the things that I suggest is in the in the first round of the conversation, when they ask you a question, never answer the question. Because if you answer the question, you'll be the same as everybody else answering their questions. You might come up with a better answer, but what you really want uh, them to do is to reveal more and more what's on their mind. So, for instance, if someone was uh, uh, asking you a question about something after they've spoken, uh, and here's, here's one of the throwaway tips. Um, try to train yourself to be aware of when the other person uses hyperbole you know, such as never or always, or when there's a, there's a, there, the inflection in their voice goes up with energy or down as if they're really kind of negative. And then also, uh, people who like noticing these things, I say try to notice adverbs and adjectives because an adverb is a way of embellishing a verb and an adjective is a way of embellishing a noun. And with adverbs, adjectives, hyperbole, and inflection, 
whoever's talking has some emotional juice on that, meaning they're, they're revealing something about themselves. So what I suggest to people is try to be aware of those, and even if they ask you a question, pause and say, I can answer your question, but say more about uh, the awful, the awful thing. Or say more about the amazing thing, or if only. And what you will notice in the conversation, and you can pick this up even on the phone, is you'll take it from a transactional conversation to something in which they start to invest more energy into. Mm -hmm. Is that something you think is important for, you know, I guess people in general, or there are particular parts of the organization where you think that might be you know, extra important. We might look at you know, people who are in sales, people who are in marketing, um, even looking at entrepreneurs, because sometimes the general wisdom is that a good entrepreneur is someone who kind of ignores everybody else, who has this vision and idea of where they want to go, and they sort of ignore everybody else, and people are telling them no. But at some level, listening it can also be a really important part. So are, are there places in organization that might be really helpful for someone? Who- I think it's helpful to everyone, but the, the question is the situation. So I, I work with entrepreneurs who are exactly as you describe them. They're pedal to the metal, and uh, it feels like they don't want to have to listen to anyone, uh, and they have their vision, and all they want to do is have their vision, have their strategy, and then do it. However, uh, something that I've done with entrepreneurs is – Talk to them about their next round of investors. And suddenly, that's a different conversation. (laughs) Right. So the person holding the money there is the investor. And something that I've said to a number of entrepreneurs, and I'll bet you've heard some entrepreneurs who speak faster than you think. Mm Mm-hmm. Correct? Oh, yeah. It's like a mile a minute and such and such and such and such. So, again, the key to excellent listening is being a noticer as opposed to just talking. So one of the things that I've said to some of those entrepreneurs is when you're speaking to an investor and you talk quickly and when the investor asks you a question and you answer it immediately, uh, you may be a quick, accurate, and even deep study. But when you answer a question immediately after someone asks you, especially if the person is wanting to judge you, they don't think you've deliberated on it. Mm-hmm. In other words, they don't see you as deliberate. And you're triggering, and something else that I talk about in teaching listening, you're triggering flashbacks in that person. One of the things we should all be aware of, or that would help us to be aware of, is that we're always triggering flashbacks in people they're not aware of. And the key is you want to trigger positive flashbacks. So if you're a fast-talking entrepreneur uh, and you don't pause, uh, even if you have a great answer, you're triggering a flashback to that investor of someone who is fast-talking and wasn't a good study or a quick study. Right. And so it's interesting. And so there's tactics. I mean, once you notice these things, there's tactics. So that with one entrepreneur, I said, what I want, what I want you to practice between now and the next time we talk, and I'm going to ask you what, uh, how often you did it, is that when you're speaking to an investor, anytime they ask you a question, I want you, even if you have an answer, I want you to pause and go, hmm, and then answer. Yep. Even if you have an answer. 
because when you go, hmm, you're not going, hmm, harumph, you're going, hmm, what's that, what that's communicating to the investor is you've heard them, it's relevant, you're considering what they have to say, right. you're sorting it out, and you're giving some thought to it. And, uh, uh, and so you can learn these skills. There was a group of CEOs I was doing every other week. We had a teleconference, and we just talked about you know, how, to, how to be more impactful, how to, have, how to have more presence. Maybe we can talk about that with HR people, because most HR people would love to be, have a seat at the strategy table instead of just being thrown personnel-type stuff and paperwork. A lot of HR people, I love them, and they—it's like Rodney Dangerfield. They can't get respected, right? And they want more impact, and they're just uh, not getting it. Uh, but getting back to this call that I would have with these entrepreneurs, here's another thing. Again, what I'm hoping that listeners will take from what we're talking about is noticing things, and when you notice something, it can be—it can change the way you interact, and so. Uh, what I shared with them, and I asked them, notice when you're a topper or a plusser. And the difference is when you're in a conversation. If you're a plusser, when someone else is talking, you build on what they say. And if you're changing the subject, there's a transitional thing where you say, that's, that's a great idea. Can we hold that in the parking lot and Let's hold on to it because I don't want to lose it. But it reminded me of something else. So you can do a subtle transition like that. That's a plusser. A topper is someone who just shanghais the conversation to what they want to talk about. Mm-hmm. Or even worse, when you uh, they're always trying to top you. So if you say, uh, you know, oh, uh, I went on vacation and I got to go to Palm Springs, and they say, oh, that's really great. We just came back from Fiji. And what was fascinating is when I pointed this out to these, there's about 10 entrepreneurs, I said, that's your homework. Two weeks later on the phone call, they just started laughing, and they were laughing because they said, oh, we're such toppers. It's horrendous. <laughs> and, then the, and, then, and then it's like someone who quits smoking and doesn't like smokers. They said, I can't. I see it now. I see it in people. And you're right. People who are toppers, what they're really showing is their insecurity. It's so blatant. And so um, uh, so they found that helpful to increase their impact. Yeah, and it's uh, I've definitely seen those. And one of the things I was thinking of um, while you were talking about uh, trying to get people to listen and adding that pause, uh, for me, I had to try to um, listen to understand instead of listening to want to respond. And so I would immediately want to respond. I guess I don't know if I was a topper or if I was a plusser, but I, I was I was waiting for my turn to respond. And so I wasn't always hearing everything that the person was saying. And so when I started doing that, and that's something I've been able to, to kind of share with people that, that would help them to listen to, to, to really understand, you don't, you're not immediately giving back that response and talking a million miles a minute, because I could do that. I could start going and be talking, 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 talking. But I think what, how you're sharing it is fantastic because it's really putting it in a very simple context of wait, g- give them a give them a verbal cue there, let, let them let them know you heard them, and then you can think about it uh, and and allow them to hear it. And then as that secondary part, when you are responding, are you 
are you trying to outdo them or are you trying to you know make that conversation better it's just it's fantastic advice i'm i'm sure there's listeners right now who are scribbling down some of the great things you're, you're talking about you know as, as we're kind of on this topic of entrepreneurs that chris let me ask you something yeah same you said a bunch of things there you said i could go on and on and on say more about how you could go on and on and on well i think that when you do something like that you want to feel heard i think you want to try to prove that you're smart you want to get all of your ideas out um sometimes if something is energetic if it's something is um exciting you know to me i'll I'll want to really kind of keep going on that i want to you know, open every door and look behind every corner to try to flush out that idea. But but sometimes the person sitting across from me has already done that. I mean, they've, they've already got all that knowledge. And if I just would shut up for a minute, <laughs> they're going to tell me everything I need to know. And that was a hard, that was a lesson I had to learn. Um, that, that, that what was the me. funny thing about if you would shut up for a minute because you chuckled? Well, because because I could spend an hour figuring out what they would tell me in one sentence. So I mean, the chuckle is me laughing at myself. You know, that if I would shut up, they would give me that wisdom all in, in one or two sentences back instead of me spending that whole time kind of haphazardly trying to figure out what, where the, what they've already done. You know, not reinventing the wheel, per se. So that reminds me of a, uh, a quote I heard from someone who said, you know, if I knew life could be so simple, I wouldn't have made it so hard. Yeah. And, and hopefully our listeners picked up, it was an excellent demonstration of what you were talking about earlier, about focusing in on that inflection, focusing in on those those areas where there was excitement in my voice. So hopefully they uh, they, 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 they could kind of see that. It was, a, it was fantastic the way you, you kind of took us through that, what you were talking about a few questions ago. Yeah, could, could, not, not, look, and, and look, I didn't want to just use you as a guinea pig. <laughs> I, but, I'm, I'm all game. <laughs> no, you were game. But could you feel that as I asked you those questions... And when I asked you the first one uh, about, you know, say more, what I picked up, and I'm a pretty good noticer, is, well, there was a little hesitation because the, the, uh, the polarity of the conversation was I flipped it to my asking you. Mm-hmm. And so what I picked up, and tell me if it's accurate, because I try to listen to people from their inside out, is, you know, you, you answered it in kind of a, an informative way, but you weren't really that emotionally into it. And then when I persisted, what I picked up in you is you leaned into the exercise. There was a part of you that said, I see where Mark's going, and you know, I trust Mark. I don't think any harm will happen. Maybe it's good radio. I'm going to go with it. What happened is you became more present and more emotional and I think more open. Mm -hmm. And is that accurate what I just said? Oh, for sure, for sure. You know, and so I think together we did this together. Now, 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 in order for people who are listening to to pull this off, uh, Chris and I met at a, a, a conference—not a conference, but a roundtable. And to pull this off, you have to be someone that people trust to not that you won't hurt them. Right. And so we had the prior uh, conversation in getting to know each other. Whereas if, uh, again, if I was out of the blue trying to do that and you didn't know me, I could have triggered a flashback of a guest trying to be uh, tricky, of a guest trying to show a tricky tactic. Mm -hmm. So uh, what I want the listeners to notice 
is that there was a level of trust between us, and what the listeners don't know is it was already established in prior conversations. So, so uh, although some of the approaches we're talking about are simple and straightforward, it really is important, you know, that they be in the context of the other person trusting your intentions. Well, Mike, this is great, and I'm so glad that we've been able to kind of go down the path that we're heading at to so far because it's giving people some great um, examples and understanding, and it's not just telling them, but they're able to kind of witness it and see it. Um, but we do have to pay the bills, so we're going to take our first commercial break here, and we'll be right back with uh, Dr. Mark Goldson after this quick commercial break. Imagine what it would feel like to lose everything. Your job, your home, your family, your dignity. This has happened to thousands of the men, women, veterans, and young adults we serve at Working Wardrobes. What do we do to help? We provide career development services, life skills workshops, job skills training. We provide the perfect interview outfit, and we get clients placed in jobs. Call Working Wardrobes, 714-210-2460. Donate, volunteer, invest, hire. When it comes to pioneers in their respective industries, we all know the Apples, Starbucks, and Trader Joe's of the world. In the realm of recruiting, Decision Toolbox is the industry's best-kept secret. With 90% of their business from referrals and repeat customers, for over 20 years, Decision Toolbox's U.S.-based team of recruiters, sourcers, professional writers, quality personnel, and tech support has perfected a Six Sigma approach to talent management. No matter the size of the project, Decision Toolbox delivers incredible results. A cost per hire less than half of what contingency firms charge. With the winning candidate presented in an average of 14 days. All with a 12-month candidate warranty. With results like that, Decision Toolbox won't be a secret for long. Visit us at www.dtoolbox.com for more information. Welcome back to the Talent Talk Radio Show. Don't forget, you can visit our website, talenttalkradio.com, and hear all the past shows, and also visit, like we said, iTunes or Android, and download that podcast. Uh, we also thank all of you who are tuning in live. Uh, we do have that uh, OCHR Summit coming up May 20th, where uh, Dr. Goldson here will be uh, speaking, and we want to really thank uh, those everyone who's involved, and all of our speakers, and of course our platinum sponsor, Cornerstone On Demand. So let's jump back into the conversation. We're kind of been focusing in on entrepreneurs here. But uh, certainly this really does apply to anyone who's, who's listening, whether you're in HR, in just general business, or entrepreneur yourself. Um, I, I know one of the things you've been speaking about to CEOs recently um, is, is that sort of that secret of, of thinking like Steve Jobs. So how did you, you kind of come to that idea about how to think like Steve Jobs? Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Well, this is going to be near and dear, not just to my heart, but to a lot of HR people. And I want to apologize uh, up front uh, that I got to do it, and some of you may not. But who knows? What happened is about two and a half years ago, I said to myself, I am exhausted trying to persuade anyone to do anything. I was just exhausted. Because a lot of times the people that I, also that I would be referred to were the difficult people. Psychiatry, other psychiatrists would refer me their most difficult patients. Uh, many of them had a diagnosis of something called borderline personality. And after doing that for more than 30 years, 
uh, I was toast, and I said, I can't do this anymore. And so I decided, well, if I could find, so I had what people needed, but people didn't want. And it's interesting. My book, Just Listen, there's much more interest from countries around the world than in America. And I think that says a lot about the, how the world views America. The world views America as not wanting to listen. Mm-hmm. The world views America as wanting to be listened to. And last night I spent two hours on a great call to uh, a speaker's bureau in Moscow. And, uh, and the translations were, were difficult, but we really hit it off. And they said, you know, Russians are just like Americans. We want everyone to listen to us, and we don't want to listen. <laughs> and, um, uh, and so what happened is I said to myself, okay, if I can come up with, with what people want then I don't have to persuade them uh, as much. And I even wrote a book after Just Listen that's a very good book. It just didn't do as well as Just Listen called Real Influence. And the subtitle was Persuade Without Pushing and Gain Without Giving In. So it's a way of how, do you, how to influence people without having to be pushy. But I've reached a point where I, I, didn't, I didn't want to persuade people at all. And so I thought... Uh, if I could figure out what causes people to gotta have something, so as soon as they see it, they gotta have it, you don't have to persuade them at all, you just sign them up. And actually, uh, the organization where I met you, Chris, uh, I actually transitioned from giving a talk on communication to giving the Steve Jobs talk, and the Steve Jobs talk, uh, the ratings, including the group you were in, I've just never gotten ratings that high, and uh, and actually, the first time I gave the talk, I think it was called How to Create Gotta Have It. And someone in the group said, you know, you just figured out the secret to Apple. And I said, ooh, I like that. That's sexy. So the next time I gave it, it was the secret of Apple. How to create gotta have it. And then someone in that group said, you didn't figure out Apple. You figured out Steve Jobs. I said, that's even sexier. <laughs> exactly. So now it's the secret of Steve Jobs or a... I think how I'm speaking on it now that I'm going nationally, because I might do a series on this, and I'm calling it Hacking Genius, How to Think Like Steve Jobs, and then I'll try and take on some other people. But what happened is, just like I could see the world through Nancy's eyes, something happened where I was able to look at the world through Steve Jobs' eyes. So people who are listening, if you look up Steve Jobs visits Xerox Park, and that's P-A-R-C, Xerox Park. You'll find one of the top five links. There'll be a YouTube video. I think it's a minute and 50-some-odd seconds. And in that video, uh, in the one minute that he's talking, to me, he revealed the secret to gotta have it, and that was part of the presentation you saw. And I'll just share it with people. What he basically said and we have some time to go through this, what he basically said in that one-and-a-half-minute video, he was talking about visiting Xerox Park, where he first laid eyes on what would be the mouse. He, he said, uh, when I went there, they showed me three things, but I didn't even notice two of them. The only thing I noticed was the graphical user interface, and that's when there were little icons on the screen and a mouse. And then the next thing he said was, it was the best thing I'd ever seen in my life. And then the third thing he said was, you know, um, they didn't have it fully figured out, but they had the bare essentials. And then the final thing he said was, and within 10 minutes, 
I realized that all computers would run this way one day. And so then I asked the audience, I said, so what are those four steps? And then I gave them other examples, but, but what the four steps are, are woe, W-H-O-A, wow, W-O-W, hmm, H-M-M-M, and then yes, exclamation point. So the woe was Steve Jobs saying, um, I didn't even notice two things. I just noticed the graphical user interface. The wow was, it was the best thing I'd ever seen in my life. The hmm was, you know, they didn't have it really figured out, but they had the essentials of it. And then the yes was, and I knew in 10 minutes this would be the future of computers. And if you actually think about it, that experience that he had when he laid eyes on that is exactly the experience that Apple customers have when Apple is introducing a new product. I mean, they go, wow, look at that Apple Watch. Oh, look at that iPhone 6. Wow, look at the things I can do with that. That's amazing. Hmm, gee, you know, maybe I'll try it because I, I want to do all those things. And then Apple creates suspense. Well, we, we, we're glad to give you whoa, wow, and hmm, but you can't have it for a month and a half. Sorry. And then it turns everybody into a frenzy. So what's the takeaway from this? And this is the takeaway from the you know the presentations I've been making. Everybody gets, whoa, wow, hmm, yes. And so what you need to do is go back to your company and ask yourself, from entrepreneur to manager to HR, rate yourself every time you have a conversation afterwards on a scale of 1 to 10. How successful was I at creating whoa, wow, um, yes? And if it's less than 10, uh, how would I improve it? Now, some people might say, oh, I don't know, that sounds too, you know, uh, Mickey Mouse, that sounds too mechanical. Well, I would say, okay, you're a non-believer. How impactful do you think you'd be if instead of whoa, wow, um, yes, you create the opposite, which is, huh, yuck. Uh, never mind, um, pass, um, please don't call me again. Yeah, not very effective. <laughs> uh, yeah. and, and then the point is, uh, you know, and so what happens is, uh, and, I, and I'm happy to give the formula away. I mean, I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not someone who hoards information. And so we tell companies, um, go there and you know, talk to your marketing people, talk to your talent acquisition people, because when you're hiring someone, and that's where we talk about talent acquisition, is what is it that the... It's one thing to try and weed out the bad people that you'll have to fire, and I'll give you a tip about that, but how do you attract the top talent that can go anywhere? And if what's coming out in the presentation isn't whoa, wah, hmm, yes, and, this, and your candidate can go elsewhere, you better change it. And I'll tell you, one of the ways to do it, I'll just give you a tip. You want to attract great talent? When you're interviewing a person, if you're in HR, uh, let's say you want to attract technology talent. Bring in, do the interview with someone that's already in the department that's really psyched up 
about the opportunities there. So co-present it with someone who, um, uh, who really understands the person you're talking to mm-hmm. and is a real uh, uh, evangelist for the opportunity. So kind of like having the, the champion for, uh, of that department or that position or what have you in there with that manager or that HR manager or that recruiter or whoever it may be that's there so that that applicant has the opportunity to see that there is real excitement, there is real value, and there is real um, woe or wow or, or whatever it may be in, in them joining that, that company. Absolutely. And if you really want to do it, I mean, if you're interviewing... Even if it's not like an executive level, but you've got like a wonder kinder, you know, one of these people, boy, if we can land so-and-so, you have the CEO come in to the interview. And the reason being is, remember we talked about how you're always triggering flashbacks? Mm -hmm. What people know unconsciously is that if they come into a company, whatever they bring to the company is not going to be effective if there is not executive sponsorship from the top down. And so the fact that a CEO might visit just to say, oh, you know, I heard you were visiting and I heard you're quite talented and uh, I'm glad you're speaking to our HR person and, uh, um, you know, and have a good interview and uh, love to have you aboard. That's an amazing thing. Never happens. You know, it's it's kind of like, you know, since I, uh, you know, among other things, uh, the Goulston Group does change management and uh, team building and all the usual stuff I just shared with the things that make us different. Uh, and uh, we won't do any of those intangible things unless we get executive sponsorship from the top down. If it's not important enough for the CEO, then we believe it's going to fail. Yeah, for you sure. Know, because, because what's happening is, uh, and speaking about flashbacks, what you're triggering is the flashback in people who had a parent who was kind of a hypocrite, a parent who could say the right words maybe out in public, but at home was awful. And so when you get a flashback of a CEO who is like that and who says things uh, but uh, doesn't walk the talk, um, it doesn't feel like there's a real commitment to any of the initiatives. And people don't think it consciously, but they feel it unconsciously. And so my company wants to be identified with excellent results. And excellent means consistently better than very good, consistently exceeding expectations. And we can't get those unless we are fully authorized by the CEO. So this idea of flashbacks, do you think that that's what kind of plays into this issue of having, you know, difficult conversations. We, we talked about this totally. earlier. Yeah, or, or is there more to it? You know, is, is there several, you know, components of that? Well, well I think the flashback is really a, a very important one because think of it this way. If there are some people who are just direct, now you can tell if someone is not just being direct but being a bully if everyone reacts to them that way. But if you have someone who's direct and there are some people who uh, react to uh, the person as being a bully, well, what's happening is their directness is triggering a flashback of someone from that person's probably childhood wasn't, who wasn't just direct, the person was a bully. And whereas other people, I can tell you, I prefer someone being direct. I mean, mm-hmm. if 
I'd rather them err on the side of being a little abrasive or blunt than being so gobbledygook. Uh, yeah. I don't even know what they're talking about. On the other hand, I might advise them, and, and when I've coached such people, and this is one of the ways also for HR people, uh, when you're dealing with someone who is talented but rubs people the wrong way, here's another kind of little tip, you know, and, and again, there's, there's many more in the book, just listen. Uh, uh, how I coach people inside companies to deal with such individuals is you flatter them and then you give them the bad news. So the good news would be to say to someone like that, even someone who's a know-it-all, is to say, do you know how smart you are about such and such? Now, you have to be specific. There has to be something that they're really smart about. And when when someone who's a know-it-all uh, but is actually talented um, gets flattered, they get flabbergasted because they're so used to rubbing people the wrong way and doing whatever. And if you were to say, do you know how smart you are about this particular thing that you do? And they're going to, what will happen is they'll, 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 they'll stumble. Say, that's the good news. Can I tell you the bad news? <laughs> and the bad news is, um, and this is the most dramatic version of it, and there's milder versions. And, and I've said this to individuals, here's the bad news. You're so smart in that area that it's somewhere between a talent and a gift and it's a God-given one. You have a responsibility to that to eliminate anything that could distract from the value of that talent because if you don't do that, God gave it to the wrong person. And when you do A, B, and C, it distracts from it. Furthermore, you have, uh, I assume that you like getting good results. I mean, everybody likes getting good results. Uh, furthermore, if you can convert all the people who, in dealing with you, would either like to kill you or kill themselves into people who would kill for you, you have no idea of the results that you will get. And then one, one of the other things I've said that uh, I think you'll find humorous, uh, and by this time you can tell that most, most such people are listening to me. Can you picture that in your mind's eye, that, wow, someone's, the way I'm approaching them, that they're kind of riveted? Mm-hmm. And, and then one of the things that I will often, often say, and I want to tell you about one of the most unfair truths in life, which you can take advantage of. One of the most unfair truths in life is that the world will root more for a reformed jerk than someone who's been nice all along. That is very unfair to the nice people. But if you could become that reformed jerk, all the people who are either afraid of you or hate you would not have to feel either of those things. And it's and what'll happen, the relief from that will cause people to root for you more than someone that's been nice to them all along, which isn't fair to the nice guys, but you want to take advantage of it, it's yours. Yeah, uh, it's that's <laughs> it's a very interesting story, very uh, kind of unique advice. I don't think I've ever heard it kind of coined that way or phrased that way. Uh, and I can think of quite a few people that uh, 
I'd love to have that conversation with. Um, but as we're running out of time here, I want to uh, make sure we ask you our uh, two very important questions. And the first is, I mean, I know you're always writing books and speaking, but I'm wondering if there's a book that you re- are reading right now or have read recently that you might suggest uh, for our audience. Well, I'm reading the Becoming Steve Jobs book because I'm sort of a fan of his, and that's a balanced one on uh, the Walter Isaacson uh, book, Steve Jobs. Uh, but two of my favorites, one is called Power Questions by, I think it's Andrew Sobel, and it's the kind of hidden in plain sight wisdom that to me is brilliant. You know, what's brilliant is not so much the brilliant stuff that only brilliant people can do. What's brilliant are those things that when you hear them, you're able to do them. And the power questions, what he comes up with is just all these questions you can ask for every situation. I think it's terrific. And then there's another book by Mike Weinberg, and I think it's something, New Sales, something rather. And he doesn't consider himself as a psycho- psychologist, but when I read it, it's it's one of the only it's one of the few books that I demanded my grown children read. I said he explains the sales process in a non-salesy way. I mean, it is it is just a study of deep understanding of human nature, and it doesn't sound like a psychology book. It sounds like someone who really understands people, and so those are my currently my two favorite books uh, that, I, that have helped me a great deal, and I would uh, suggest them uh, to your audience. One, one last one, and uh, there's a book called Workarounds at Work, Workarounds at Work by Russell Bishop, and uh, he's a personal friend of mine. Russell, and I just I think that's such a, a good one for HR people, and I think it's a how to overcome obstacles in the workplace. And I'll just give you those four tips because I think if you write these things down, it'll help you feel in control of your life. Uh, basically, if an obstacle hits you, here are the five steps. You know, when something goes wrong, the first step is don't deny it, own it. It happened. It wasn't a bad dream. So the first thing is own it and accept that it happened. Second thing, which is the toughest thing, is given that this has happened, what is the best near-term and long-term outcome that I can now aim for given that this obstacle occurred? So what's the best, you know, immediate, near-term, and long-term? Third step is what he calls uh, the control step. What is something that you can do that's under your power and your power alone, and you don't have to call anyone, you can do it directly and make it happen. So something that was under your control in getting me on your show was you could make the call and you could say, would you like to be on my show? Mm-hmm. You didn't have to ask anyone. You have, didn't have to ask for the station's permission. I'm thinking of having someone you could do that. Uh, so what can you do under your control to get those outcomes, the near and long-term outcome? That's the third step. The fourth step is what he calls influence, and that is, who do I need to influence uh, in order to get those long-term outcomes? So uh, I might not be able to do this. It may not be under my control, but there's someone I know who might be able to actually make that call for me, and what is it that I might need to do for that person to motivate them to make that call for me? So he calls that influence. And then the fifth step, he calls response dash ability. And what it means is, given the first four steps, 
what is your ability or your commitment to what are you going to do? And uh, to me, I just thought, God, this is what I think is hidden in plain sight brilliance. To me, it just makes so much sense. In fact, I, I recommend you have him on your show. He's just, he's just wonderful. Well, those are some great books and great suggestions. I think uh, everyone can write down and remember. Don't forget, we will take uh, have a blog recap of, of this entire show, and we'll put all those books and suggestions right in there so you can grab them there as well if you're listening and didn't have a pen to write anything down. Um, uh, final quick question here. We're oh, literally 30 seconds before we got to go. Uh, how can people get a hold of you or learn more about the Golson Group if they're interested in having you speak or come work with their company or uh, all the other things that you do? Well, I, I think... Uh Currently, you go to markgoulston.com, M-A-R-K-G-O-U-L-S-T-O-N.com. If you like what I'm thinking about, um, you can find blogs up at LinkedIn under my name, under Pulse. The Goulston Group website hopefully will be up in the next uh, two or three weeks. Something that, that should be launching in the next month is a Patreon campaign, which is like a Kickstarter campaign. And the title of it, I believe, is What I Want You to Know. And so what's happened is a videographer has interviewed me saying the things that people in your life might want you to know, but they can't tell you. So the uh, the teaser for this Patreon campaign, which means if you support me, I can do more of these. But the first one is about uh, what your what your spouse who doesn't want your advice or solutions wants you to know is... <laughs> And then I do that role play. I do uh-huh. the role play like I did the devils in your devil's advocate. And, and I say something like, uh, you know, I love you, but every time you give me advice and solutions and I don't want it, you make me feel worse. Right. And what I want to do is get stuff off my chest uh, so that I don't do something foolish, and then I'll give myself the solution. But when you cut me off and you give me solutions I want to hear, it makes it worse. So what we're hoping is people... <laughs> You'll be able to share it with your spouse and say, so is this what you're trying to tell me? Yeah. Or your spouse will say, you know what I've been trying to tell you? This, this guy's got it. Well, I, I hope our listeners will check it out. I, uh, we really appreciate you being on the show today uh, and spending the whole hour with us, which is quite a treat. And I know we'll be having you at the conference here uh, May 20th. Uh, Mark, again, thank you so much for being uh, with us here for the full hour. Thank you for being a much better listener than I was. <laughs> well, it's my job to listen. It's your job to talk. You're the guest. So don't, don't forget, tune in live next week, 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. We have another special show. We're going to be interviewing the co-CHROs. Um, actually, we're going to be playing it for you. I went all the way up to San Francisco and sat in the Gap op- offices, and we I got to speak with both the... Uh, CHROs of GAP and their unique setup on how they manage uh, the all of the HR functions of that incredible company together. I think you'll find that show fascinating, and it's going to be next week, uh, Tuesday, 1 o'clock. Uh, until then, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today. You've been listening to Talent Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2. 